Welcome to the baseline, everyone. The Jimmy Dore Show is an institution. If Jimmy is the shooting guard on that team, Steph Zamorano is the point guard, passing the ball, responding to the audience, and making the show flow. They challenge hypocrisy and injustice, irrespective of political party and political affiliation. For those who know, the Jimmy Dore Show is essential, providing critical insight into issues and stories the corporate media won't dare to touch. It is with tremendous honor that I introduce former public school teacher, comedian, pundit, and co-host of the Jimmy Dore Show, Steph Zamorano. How are you today, Steph? Welcome to The Baseline. Oh, I'm excited to be at The Baseline. Hello, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. And I got to let you know right away, Steph, full disclosure, this is my audition to be part of the Jimmy Dore team. I'm supposed to be part (laughs) of your team. I'm an experienced musician. Jimmy Dore needs a house band. I want to put the house band together. I actually, believe it or not, I did security. I was part of a small security team for the number one heavyweight MMA fighter in history, Fedor Emelianenko. So I want to be on Jimmy's security team. I'm also a writer. My substack is hot like fire. I want to be a writer for Jimmy Dore. I want to be a pundit. And I'm humble enough to serve you guys coffee any day of the week. Well, that's great. Where, 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 where do you live? What, what I live in New York City. I live in Harlem. And I'm a person of color, so I can deflect frivolous charges <laughs> of racism. When people try to pull the race card, I'll, I'll jump right in there and deflect, deflect. I live in Harlem, and um, I'm actually in Miami right now. This is, for everyone listening, this is the Baseline Miami edition. This is the first time I've hosted the show from outside of the PRN studio. So it's a unique experience already. Um, this is basically a phone call with the great Steph Zamorano. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to have you here, Steph. I just want you to know, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan, not just of the Jimmy Dore show, I'm a huge fan of yours. I think you deserve a lot of credit. I think, um, you know, it's, it's uh, often that we don't give enough credit to the wing people, the supporting cast. Um, you know, Jimmy Dores, obviously he's the comedy king. He's the, the Michael Jordan of the Jimmy Dore show. 
but um, your presence there is essential to the show, and you're part of the reason why Jimmy Dore fans such as myself love the show, and I just want to give you credit where credit is due. I'm a big fan of yours. I think you're a great pundit and an awesome comedian in your own right. Well, Jeremiah, we'll hopefully be back in New York um, in the next six months, and uh, definitely we will meet and have a cup of coffee together and uh, chat about politics and what's happening in New York because New York has just faced a huge crisis with this ruling that the judge gave Donald Trump on the $355 million uh, that he has to owe, plus I think uh, some other fees additional to that, which, uh, you know, we just did an article, uh, a story with Kevin O'Leary that, It was incredible because I, you know, at first I I saw how much Trump was uh, issued to pay. And then I had no idea that the, was it the governor that came out and said, Hey, you know what? This really doesn't, uh, don't worry business people. This is only really directed towards one person. Um, So keep your business here. And according to O'Leary, it's like he doesn't want to do business there. He'd rather do it in Virginia or Oklahoma or Florida. He doesn't want it. He's, business people are going to be pulling out of New York. And what a crisis that will create. Yeah. Your coverage of that, again, was outstanding and incredible. You guys have, you know, the best team just grabbing these great clips to really get right to the point. And, yeah, that appearance of Kevin O'Leary on corporate news was profound. And it was amazing how, again, just, you know, they keep pulling the one-trick pony and, you know, referring to Donald Trump like he's the only harmful element in America. And Kevin O'Leary was insisting this isn't about Trump. This is about an entire state and the economics of an entire state and the ripple effect of all of that. So it was amazing how they didn't uh, succeed in baiting him into their little snare. You know, and I can't help but think about the criminality of the banks during the 2008, you know, freefall that happened and how the American public bailed out the banks, even though they conducted themselves in a fraudulent manner with um, the house, you know, uh, purchasing of houses. Hey, you say you can afford this house. We'll just write it down on paper and we'll let you purchase this house. There was no oversight, but what happened was they that was huge fraud on the American public. And um, wasn't it, you know, I, maybe you know the, the statistics on this, but, you know, a lot of people of color who uh, bought their homes lost their homes. They lost their life savings when that happened. And there was no uh, charges against the banks. I mean, Jamie Dimon still is, you know, uh, you know the CEO of, is it Citibank? Um, and that he continues to make something like, is it, I think it's like $36 million a year. Really? That's filthy money. There's, how does that person make that much money? What is that person doing to garner that much money? Because Honestly. that money came from the American public. Yeah, too big to fail and too big to jail. When that happened, when the 2008 meltdown happened, uh, Slavo Zizek wrote a book called First as Tragedy, Second as Farce which is a Marx quote. I guess Marx said history repeats itself first as tragedy and then as farce. And he made a a great point, which is he says, hmm, 
uh, you know, uh, Obama, McCain, and sitting President George Bush were all called to the, the, the table. Democracy was de facto suspended. This was the crisis where bipartisan unity must come into play. Interesting. Such unity was never brought forward to address things like mm, starvation, homelessness, uh, any number of other major uh, crises that we face as a society. So it's just so interesting how a emergency for the banks is a real emergency, but massive homelessness and nine million children going to bed hungry every night. Eh, no big deal about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm just looking at a headline here from NBC, and it says, uh, during uh, this time period in 2008, nearly 8% of black American and Latino families lost their homes due to foreclosure. Wow. Wow. That's, that's where was the bailout for them? Yeah. Where was the golden parachute for all of those folks, right? Yeah, you know, I remember Jimmy and I were discussing that. We couldn't understand why you wouldn't bail out the people. So why wouldn't you give the money to the American public that would go back right into their homes, right back to the banks? So it seemed to us that that would cover, you know, the two most important bases. It would, it would take care of those Americans, and then it would, that money would go right back into the economy. We couldn't understand why that wasn't the bailout. Why did it go directly to the banks who had been fraudulent? So when I see that they're talking about um, <laughs> Donald Trump, and believe you, believe I do not like Donald Trump. I remember in the eighties, he was over. He Me was too. on the cover of every tabloid, and I just remember you like I don't like this guy. Um, uh, full disclosure: Yes, I did watch The Apprentice. I always thought it was funny that they would call him Mr. Trump. But look, right. he was a game show host on NBC for over 10 years. And when he ran for president, I remember Chris Hayes on MSNBC, he would be doing a report with an empty podium beside him, awaiting Donald Trump to speak. They couldn't wait to create this circus for him. They were all about him. And now they're all in lockstep with, he's terrible. Do you want this criminal running your country? Well, you know what we will do? Rachel Maddow will come on the air and say, we're not going to cover his speech. We don't feel like it's appropriate to do this at this time, but we will report to you if he says anything that we think we should report to you. That's my country. First, they yeah. take him off of a Twitter, and then they won't allow... I mean, it's incredible that people aren't horrified what they're doing to Donald Trump, because all you have to do is say, well, if they're doing this to Donald Trump, if they deplatform Donald Trump, a president of the United States, everybody is fair game. That means if you're a Democrat, whoever's in power, they don't like you, you can lose your access. So it, it seems that they are allowing this guy to be some really scary boogeyman who didn't get me into war. But I'm right. going to be afraid of him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, you know, one thing I point out to people is the Peace Angel, recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, Barack Obama, annihilated uh, the sovereign African nation of Libya. I'm no fan of Donald Trump. I could go into a litany of things that I don't like about Donald Trump. However, 
objectively speaking, I don't think that he actually has anything as atrocious as the annihilation of Libya under his belt. So that's my issue at this point, is folks who have committed to this so-called lesser of two evils strategy over an extended period of time now, they refuse to acknowledge that they are complicit in heinous crimes against the global public. Heinous. You know, underscore heinous, meaning not something that was well-intended that went wrong or something that happened by accident heinous actions against people. And I think people really need to start thinking more deeply about that. Why are you voting for people? Why are you supporting people who are committing outright atrocities? The lesser of two evil strategy has not served us at all. As a matter of fact, um, Ryan Christian, who is the host of my other favorite news show, those are my two favorite shows, the Jimmy Dore show and the last American vagabond. Ryan Christian on the baseline made a great point, which is we should start demanding an I abstain option on the ballots. Just like I believe congressional people, when they make their congressional votes, they can vote I abstain. We should have that option. And until then, I'm sorry, people are going to get angry at me for saying this, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I think it's a stronger action to conscientiously not to vote. If we are being offered a choice between two apparent criminals, don't vote for lesser of two evils because you will be making yourself complicit in heinous atrocities. And I think it would be a stronger statement if people, frankly, said, if you're going to put these kind of fraudulent elections together, we're just not going to participate and that will reduce the presidential mandate. Maybe we should turn our backs on them altogether and say, you know, what? we're going to start operating within the community. We're going to start addressing the issues of the community within the community and stop waiting for some magical hand from above to help us when we never get the help that we need in the most basic sense, in terms of the most basic needs of communities across the country. Well, let me ask you this, that the idea of I'll abstain, okay, I'm abstaining from this, why not cast your vote for a third party? What, oh, what would that's you a great argument question. to that is? To the end of the interview, Steph. <laughs> no, 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 totally. <laughs> um, we were going to talk about third party stuff. Now, I voted for third party in general. I voted for third party in the previous elections. I voted for Howie Hawkins of the Green Party. Now, First of all, I have to say I'm disappointed. I haven't looked into it thoroughly enough, but I believe the Green Party was in support of dehumanizing medical mandates is what I've heard, that they, they bought into the branch COVIDian narrative. So if that's true, I'm horribly disappointed by that. But what I, what I say about third parties and what I've said about third parties for a while, I would love a third party to emerge. And I would do grassroots campaigning for a third party. However, my, my request of any third party is please be visible in the community first. Don't start your third party project by fielding an impotent presidential campaign that doesn't even receive 1% of the vote in any county. Go and paint park benches. Go clean up garbage off the streets. Go start tutoring programs for kids. Open up food banks. So that after a few years of this activity, we say, you know what? I'm voting for the Green Party. They've been in the community. They fed my family. They cleaned up the park. 
they help support the education of my children, et cetera, et cetera. So that's my thing. I love the idea of a third party, but be visible in the community first. Don't tell me that you're running for president because when you tell me you're running for president, you're already showing me a terrible attribute, which is that you're unrealistic. I don't want an unrealistic leader. I don't want to vote for somebody who basically what they're doing is the equivalent of they're going for a run around the block and they're claiming they're getting ready for a heavyweight championship. It's like, no, that's called a run around the block. You're not scheduled in a main event fight, actually. You know, when you uh, talk, talk about the third parties and that, not to start with running a presidential candidate, I think that is so, like, it makes sense. It's like, where are you at the grassroots level? Where are you at the community level? Where are you at city council, the school board, uh, you know, et cetera? That, uh, that makes so much sense that you galvanize a community um, with an independent party. And then you create that momentum. You know, we participated with a third party, the People's Party, and we were very excited about the People's Party. You know, that it was like, oh, the community coming together. And uh, we urged that group of people to become present, to become present in communities, that to go seek out candidates that were running in various states and help them. Right? If you see somebody who's running independent, why don't you go and help them? Why are you waiting for a presidential candidate? And I, I, they approached Jimmy to run for president. And I remember that they said, hey, you know, we'd like to talk to Steph also at the Zoom meeting. And I was like, I'll Zoom with you. Sure, I'll Zoom with you. And there was no way that I wanted Jimmy to run. And I had challenged this group of people. I said, all right. You want Jimmy to run? Bring, bring me, bring me your pitch. Go ahead and pitch me. Let me see what your pitch is. Now, I was a high school English teacher for over twenty years, and I worked with some great kids. I mean, I would tell my friends that as a teacher, working with these kids really gives me a lot of hope for our future. I would see their intellect, their passion, their insights, and I was like, "Wow, we have a really..." wonderful group of youth in our nation. And so I knew what to challenge these people with. So a group of them came over to our home and they brought me a folder with paper that had nothing empty, just empty. They didn't have a slogan. They didn't have a platform written out. They didn't have a vision. Uh, and what their ultimate vision was, was Jimmy Dore. That was it. Right. Jimmy Dore was their workhorse. That's it. They didn't start a YouTube channel for the People's Party. They weren't present every week sending out, this is what we're working on. This is what we've established. This is who we've helped. This is the assistance we're providing in the community. Nothing. And they said, oh, you know, when Jimmy announces it, we'll get a lot of people to do the down ballot. I'm like, what? So let me get this straight. Then Jimmy's going to go places. He's going to help campaign for people. Oh, so you're going to have a stallion become a workhorse. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And then, yeah, and uh, then uh, they decided to do a, uh, well, uh, Jimmy had shared with one of the leaders of the party that Steph wasn't on board 
And the leader of the party at the time decided that, oh, well, Steph's not on board. I'm going to let people know on Twitter Steph's not on board and that they should contact her personally and um, do videos and let her know the reasons why Jimmy should run. (laughs) Juvenile, juvenile. And what that showed me was I was right. I was right. You wanted Jimmy and Jimmy show and me to be workhorses for a campaign that was dependent on Jimmy and Jimmy is charismatic. Jimmy is, you know, right, he sure <laughs> that's, is. Why I, that's why I love him. And he smells, if he, uh, he does not suffer fools. And he oh, it's smells, so funny. My yeah. dad told me that that was one of my quotes from my dad. You do not suffer fools. Well, Right. A friend of mine responded, and, well, how, is it, how are you supposed to suffer them? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, look at our country. Look at our country suffering with uh, Joe Biden. Oh, my goodness. I, I, have, I have friends that um, cried when Hillary Clinton wasn't elected, cried. I have friends that believe all that um, Microsoft, NBC... MSNBC, let's not forget, it stands for Microsoft. Yep. Microsoft, that all that news that they, well, you know, uh, the fictionalization of news that they perpetuate, they call what we're all doing, independent media is doing, is misinformation. How convenient. Sure. So, so as far as third parties, you know, I want to go back to Howie Hawkins. You know, um, once upon a time, uh, when Jill Stein was running in the Green Party. Uh, She had access with over 40 states. I don't know the exact number, but over 40 states, the Green Party's had ballot access. When Howie Hawkins last ran, ran, that dropped by half, if not more. Uh Yeah, and um, you tell me, you tell me, Jeremiah, why Howie Hawkins is in a place to run for president. The guy can't speak. They were, they were for it. You know, I hope somebody tweets out to us that we're wrong, that they were against the mandate. But um, Actually, I've gotten think, messages while we're on the air saying, yep, they were, they were on board with the mandate. <laughs> From one of my baseline you know, insiders, I'm, I'm getting messages as we're talking. And I'm wondering, I don't think the Black Caucus within the Green Party was for those mandates. Mm, that's telling. Yes. And um, so, you know, Howie Hawkins, okay, how about this? How about this? What if people like Howie Hawkins, what if people like Joe Stein, who's super articulate, but for some reason won't come on the Jimmy Dore show? For some reason, she's ignored our requests. Huh, why is that? When she had previously been on our show, is it because we might ask some hard questions? Is it because mm-hmm. we might ask her association with Peter Dow? Is, is that what she is most concerned about? Is she concerned about the platform that she's running on? You know, um, she went to, um, when they did the... Uh, what was it? They did the big, uh, what was it called? The, the war against, uh, the machine against the war. Oh, I forget that um, anti-war uh, event that, that she spoke at. She was eloquent. 
I'm a big fan of Joe Stein. I'm just curious why she's missing an action to come on the Jimmy Dore show to have a conversation about her campaign, about the uh, strange campaign of Cornell West and her association with Peter Dow. Yeah, I'm so disappointed in Cornell myself. I, I've been a follower of his for years. I owned Race Matters as a teenager. You know, I, I met Cornell at Hunter College when he spoke with Michael Moore, shook his hand. You know, one problem I have with Cornell West that I had before he sort of exposed himself uh, recently is I just wonder, you know, why aren't these people uplifting younger intellectuals and other critical thinkers? You know, even his references to music, he did a great interview with um, Joe Rogan, a friend of mine said, oh, you have to check out Joe Rogan's interview with Cornell West. I enjoyed the interview. But then, you know, even the music he referenced to, it was all music that had been funneled through the corporate canon. And I'm thinking, come on, music lovers such as yourself, you should be referencing music that we've never heard of before. You know, okay, you love Aretha Franklin and you love Curtis Mayfield. Me too. But what about some of the other unsung heroes of soul, past and present? You know, so that's my thing. Is a lot of these folks, they're not uplifting the other talented thinkers. They're very uh, satisfied with being sort of insular in their image and, and their, their brand. Well, I'm sure Cornell, um, in, in his circle, his academic world, he appears to be a radical. Yeah, you know? I mean, I saw I saw Cornell West. By the way, I saw him speak down the block from my home at a local event in uh, in Harlem at Revolution Books, just blocks from my home, right there on Malcolm X Boulevard. He was there with um, Andy Z, is uh, a well known figure of the RCP, the Revolutionary Communist Party. I went to sit in their talk, and um, Andy Z made some spastic defense of the mandates and of the killer vaccines and Cornell West had nay word to say about vaccines, vaccine mandates. And this was ironically, this was either the day or the day after tens of thousands of New York state healthcare workers had lost their jobs for not abiding by the mandates, literally from heroes to zeros. I guess the official figure is 34,000, but I think it's actually tens of thousands more because a lot of people just left the job before, you know, actually being fired or whatever. When you add up the full number, I think you could get to as many as 70,000, but officially it was 34,000 people who lost their job after serving people, serving the communities in which they are nurses, healthcare practitioners, they had nay word to say about it, which takes me into something I really want to discuss with you in general, which is yes. what I call this illusory divide between left and right. The Canadian truckers are right wingers. Well, no, sorry guys. Those are the workers. Who are you as a person with uncalloused hands who works at a computer, who works under the auspices of a university or some other institution to define someone just as right wing. Why? Because they drive a truck. Did you actually speak to any of these people? Did you speak to the Sikhs? 
who are a good percentage of the truck drivers in Canada, and, and a number of other examples, you know, the right-wing farmers in Germany. Oh, really, farmers are right-wing now. And if you didn't want to take an experimental vaccine, you're right-wing. What an absurd use of the term right-wing at this point. And I'll also add, though, I find it interesting, when I talk to quote-unquote right-wingers who define themselves as right, I literally, and maybe I'll meet one soon, and maybe I should ask around more, but I haven't met one right-winger who can define what right-wing means. It just means not left, which means not supporting, you know, gender-affirming care for minors and not in support of mandating experimental vaccines. To them, that means right, but they're right in opposition to left actions that are not left, if any of that makes sense. Wow. Uh, So just a a couple of details. I I just wanted to go back to uh, and then come back to Canada. But um, I don't know. uh, I think people need to be aware that when you say that Cornell West didn't have anything to say during that conversation regarding COVID and vaccines, uh, even when he was on the Jimmy Dore show and Jimmy showed him a headline letting him know that black businesses ownership declined more than 40%, that it was devastating to black owned businesses. He didn't have anything to say about that. So, you know, if you're talking about the people that are disenfranchised, you're talking about a group of people uh, that are important to communities and they lost their businesses because of these mandates, because of the requirements. And then, on the flip side, you have the Canadian truck drivers that the majority of them were actually vaccinated. Right. So, so that's kind of a crazy when you look at what um, the term truther, which is really crazy, that if you're a truther, uh, what does that mean now? They took the word truth, and now it's supposed to have some sort of negative con- connotation with, oh, you're a truther. What does that mean? That is some crazy psyop stuff that's happening, that they're able to use this terminology that we're, like, turning on the truth. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, when black people were identified as the most vaccine-hesitant group in America, ethnic group in America, well, that's no surprise based on American history. And that's what I said to people. Well, I refuse to take these injections based on the historical context in which I find myself. I remember Flint, Michigan. I do not believe that a country that could not provide potable water for one particular town in America is now going to oversee the mass vaccination of the entire public in an effective way. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. You mean to tell me that nothing could go wrong in rushing through medical trials? You mean to tell me there's nothing that can go wrong in the manufacturing of these products, in the distribution of these products, in the administration of these products? There's so many steps in which something can go terribly wrong. And to act like everyone should be on board for this massive operation and not question it, is utterly insane, utterly insane. And then they were so dismissive of the historical 
fact of the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, the fact that that actually transpired for 40 years between 1932 and 1972, and in this really dismissive, liberal, quote-unquote liberal way, they say, oh, well, don't bring up Tuskegee. Oh, give me a break with Tuskegee. What do you mean, give me a break? That's American history, and you can choose to disregard American history, but I will not do so. So this whole thing of calling people crazy for being logical is crazy. They might, uh, you know, our, our listening public might not realize that also during the 60s and 70s, there was, uh, they did first sterilization of Mexican immigrant women in the 60s and early 70s. And they conducted that stuff at places that you might know, uh, Los Angeles County USC Medical Center. And the practice ended um, somewhere around 1979 for state hospitals. And get this, it ended in 2010 for state prisons. Whoa. Forced sterilization. That was a favorite pastime of George H.W. Bush as well, who was involved in various coercive sterilization programs in Panama and elsewhere. Yeah, and so when we see that people of color are hesitant to jump on board, and, you know, we've had friends that thought, you know, both Jimmy and myself got the first two vaccines, and both of us have underlying health conditions. He has a rare bone disease. And that he almost died able to identify his rare bone disease. And once we found that doctor, our lives changed. And, um, I, and so we both were scared because we were watching the news. We thought we were getting the best information. And, um, you know, we both were afraid, like many of our family members, and that wasn't that long ago that that happened to our country. And so, but when the boosters came out, we stopped. I wasn't going to get endless boosters. And I remember one of my family members said, hey, did you get your booster? And I'm like, I got it taken care of, meaning I don't need to share with you what I'm doing medically. And I know you wanted the booster, I know the profession you're in is going to require you to have a booster, but I'm not, I'm no longer in education. Thank God that I didn't have to, because probably if I had continued, I had left teaching in 2017. And if I had continued in teaching that I probably would have gotten a booster, you know, being around children, not knowing how this, you know, this disease was going to be spread, right? And uh, so I'm very thankful that I was lucky enough in 2017, Jimmy and I made the decision that I could uh, produce full-time and instead of trying to produce and work full-time. You know, I would say most of my life, both Jimmy and myself have worked several jobs. You know, he was a touring comedian for years, and when he got his bone disease, uh, we had a conversation, and I said, maybe you need to find something that you could do uh, that doesn't require so much traveling. And he started to produce the Jimmy Dore show on Pacifica radio. And through that, we started to produce different live shows where he would take video content 
and we would produce the, a live Jimmy Dore show, and we would have panelists. And since that has happened, you know, we had built uh, a studio in our garage. <laughs> you know, yeah. I re- we were just look we were just looking at pictures of emptying everything from the garage from zero. You know, it didn't have walls, it didn't have electrical, and we just uh, we didn't do a, a GoFundMe until we had built it, and we really did the GoFundMe for to be able to pay our editor. The, a very important element to the show is to be able to figure that part out and be able to produce it and put it on YouTube. So it took a lot of work. And when COVID hit, it was, I remember about two weeks, it was probably the, uh, mid-February, and I looked at my team and I said, hey, I don't think we're going to be allowed to work together anymore in this space. Can you figure out how to do it remote? Boy, the editors figured it out. And um, our editors have since continued to edit the, uh, work remotely. So when we do the show here in studio, it's Jimmy, it's Kurt Metzger as our guest, and I'm over here, uh, and I, I manage different things. And then our other producer, Misha Pollan who manages the soundboard and uh, deals with the guests. So it's only four of us in a room, and wow. that's funny. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. I was wondering. I have this image of, like, this huge staff running around no. behind the scenes. And, and, and I think you might appreciate this, that, you know, a lot of people go, wow, how many writers do you have? How many researchers do you have? It's Jimmy. So I, I'll tell you our team is so... Jimmy is uh, constantly uh, researching and reading and sifting through and synthesizing content. You know, he just has a real thirst. It comes naturally to him. And it, what's great about it is it not only, uh, he does it for his live stream on Rumble and YouTube and Rockfin, but it also speaks to his comedy. So all yeah. of this great information, you know, um, he he goes. He says right now. He goes. Uh, tough jokes for tough times, and it yeah. is. It is tough times. <laughs> and and we went to a comedy show last night, and uh, it was really disheartening because we were so looking forward to seeing this particular headliner, and this headliner had nothing to say that was insightful or uh, connected to what's the crisis in our country, but had to rail on Donald Trump. Uh, and it was nothing new, no no insight, but it was just the same stuff that you're hearing on mainstream media and uh, MSNBC, Microsoft News Network, you know, uh, and nothing that, you know, like when you tell me that Donald Trump is a criminal, well, I hope you're going to tell me in the next breath that the level of incarceration of black and brown people by the sitting president right now the crimes against humanity the sitting president has participated in. I mean, can anybody sit there and uh, look at Hunter Biden and not think that, oh, his his laptop was missing? Oh, um, just at the, the level of crime that the Biden family has participated in, and people can still, Governor Gavin Newsom comes out and says, this man is a man of integrity and oh honor. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm throwing up in my mouth. That's whole, whole ease up a little bit. 
Well, Gavin Newsom sounds like he's just as demented as Joe Biden. Oh, and my God. Isn't that, the, isn't that the whispers behind the scenes that Joe Biden isn't going to run, but they're going to put Gavin Newsom in? Oh, my goodness. I've heard rumors of Michelle Obama as well. Uh-huh. I mean, I find it amazing, though, right? So Donald Trump is a racist, and he's an old white man and a racist. He's the oldest uh, president to take the oath of office, amazingly. He didn't seem that old, but he's actually the oldest president to take the oath of office. So let's replace him with an older white male with a long-standing track record of racism as epitomized by the 1994 crime bill and him voting for every war that he could ever vote yes for. And, you know, I want to write a substack soon about the Joe Biden timeline. You know, at some point it was in the 70s, he said he doesn't want his children growing up in a racial jungle, quote unquote. 1988, expelled from the Democratic Party primary. But, oh yeah, Donald Trump is a liar. Let's replace him for a known, with, with, a, with a known liar who was expelled from uh, a 1988 primary for repeated uh, and flagrant plagiarism. Everyone needs to see Jimmy's coverage on that. Um, Joe Biden's plagiarism. It's astonishing if you haven't seen it. 1994 crime bill devastated the black community to historic proportion, doubled the prison population from 1 million to 2 million under Bill Clinton, historic in, in its devastation to the black community. And then, um, you know, he gets uh, oh, votes for the uh, Iraq war and doubles down on his vote when said, oh, what about weapons of mass destruction being a total farce? He shrugged his shoulders and said, oh, we have to take out, we had to take out Saddam Hussein anyway. So I would have voted yes anyway. So all this stuff, and then he becomes the medicator in chief. He becomes the man uh -huh. who's losing patience with the unvaccinated. So, okay, he voted for war, plagiarism, um, you know, uh, racial comments and the, and the crime bill and all this stuff, but he makes a hell of a vaccine. Sure. And then when he's done with that and he's kind of just moved past that without acknowledging any of the vaccine injuries or the ineffectiveness of the vaccine or the unconstitutional nature of mandating this for people, he just, just skips on down the road and is into genocide again, supporting genocidal atrocities against the Palestinians, which again, Shouldn't be a surprise if you voted for him. He's received tons of money, maybe more money than any active politician from the Israeli lobby. So if you voted for him and you were surprised by him supporting both politically and materially the atrocities going on in Gaza, well, you, you didn't do your homework at all. He's been a, a lapdog for the Israeli lobby for his entire career. So it's just, you know, I could, again, I could list all these things that I don't like about Donald Trump. But then why would Joe Biden be your alternative? I thought the Democrats were so diverse. They didn't have like a young person of color, a, young, a younger man or woman with brilliant ideas to come to the forefront and, and lead the country in some brilliant new way. No, they got the stale bag of Wonder Bread, Joe Biden, as their alternative to Trump. That's what drives me insane. I agree completely. You know, I, I think I, I voted, I, I don't think I know, I voted for President Obama. And I remember when he won the election and that 
we looked around us and uh, we were so joyful because it meant like our country had seized an opportunity. This man seemed to have a vision for our country that he spoke about peace and that we were really going to move into a new world of peace and prosperity. And look at the progress. We voted for an African-American. Look at the progress our country has made. And now you just step back and you go, well, would the power structure really allow us a person of color who would be progressive, who would be pro-peace, or would they allow us a puppet? a figure that would appear to speak and walk the walk of peace. But ultimately, how many countries did he invade? How many endless wars has he started? So it's like we were duped as an American public. We saw, you know, we saw this man that looked like he was going to save us. We looked up to this figure that epitomized that we thought was integrity. And when I see him speaking to African countries and saying, hey, you know what? You can't get that. You can't have that luxury of air conditioning. You can't have those things that I enjoy because it's going to drain resources. <laughs> that it's, and remember when he went to Flint, Michigan, took a sip of water? Oh, right. That was such a water. He really showed them himself. that there's nothing wrong with this water. And oh what have they God. done for Flint, Michigan? What have they done for them? What that should show us is they have abandoned the American public. So yeah. a whole group of black and brown people that once voted for President Obama has become disenfranchised from the Democratic Party. And when I get, I'm on the Democratic Party's email list. I'm no longer a Democrat. I'm an independent. But I... I watch what they're, you know, I read what they're begging for money. And they keep saying, do you want us to lose seats in the Congress? Aren't you afraid of Mitch McConnell? Oh, okay. How about instead of telling me what I should be afraid of, why aren't you passing legislation that actually make my life better? Exactly. That would get my vote. Well, that's what I said is that if hope and change was anything other than a total farce, Barack Obama's hope and change, then Donald Trump would have never happened. If there was any, and that's something that I guess, you know, I'm naive. I, I'm realizing as time goes on how naive I actually have been. I knew that, you know, we're, we're likely to, uh, to be in for a farce. I, I voted for Obama, but my, honestly, my heart sank a little bit when I saw people dancing in the streets because my first thought was, you don't understand politics. You have us in an emotional state of mind, and politics is based on ice water in your veins, a sang-froid, as they say. Um, we, we shouldn't be emotional. We should, we, should, we should be political. But they created this feel-good event, and honestly, I'm so naive. I thought they were going to throw us a bone to confuse us a little more. I thought they were going to kind of sprinkle some little Scooby snacks around. So we say, oh, yeah, Barack Obama's really cool. But they just, they just gave us nothing. I mean, wow. It was just a big old pile of empty rhetoric. 
And then people have accused me and said, why do you keep singling out Obama? All the presidents are bad. Why do you single out Obama? I said, I'm not singling him out. You're singling him out. I'm trying to lump him back in with all the other war criminals, which is where he belongs and where he truly resides. So, no, I'm not singling him out. And furthermore, you'll wear a T-shirt with Barack Obama imaginarily depicted with Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and Nelson Mandela. When, no, he is, he is an anathema to the vision of King or the wisdom of Malcolm X. He does not, it's an insult to me to place him. You wouldn't put George Bush in a, in a picture, in an imaginary picture next to Martin Luther King Jr. So that's when I get disheartened is when people are still clinging to this notion of Barack Obama as a positive historical figure when the fact of the matter is he's a mass murderer. And that's not an abstract thing to say. It's actually historical fact that a lot of people were killed on his watch under his rule. And a good friend of mine actually made an interesting point. He says, once a, a, a president is out of office, then their era begins. When Barack Obama completed his eight years, the Barack Obama era begins. This is what the world looks like after Barack Obama. And likewise, when Trump is in office for four years, now the Trump era begins. This is what the world looks like after Donald Trump. I think it's a, an interesting way of looking at it. Absolutely. You know, I, as I recall, as uh, Barack Obama was leaving office, he was once interviewed and he said, you know what, I would really prefer if I, you know, I'm not in the limelight, but I still pull the strings from behind the curtain. Right. That was I wonder a if he is pulling those strings. You know, and additionally, you know, when he left office, wow, he landed great. You know, he has, how huge is his property in Martha's Vineyard? How large is his property in Hawaii? You know, what kind of barricade did they build that actually isn't healthy for the, the, uh, the ocean in his area, you know, um, what did he, how many people did he displace in his library in Chicago? Um, so, you know, Barack Obama, how many millions and millions of dollars has this guy made? And, uh, how much has my country become financially crippled? I mean, I grew up, you know, in the seventies and eighties and my mom was also a, an elementary school teacher and she became a teacher so we could uh, get out of poverty, that we could have health care. And the way that you could do that in the 70s and 80s was to have a full-time job. And we were able to buy a home. And in the 70s, you could buy a home for $25,000. That's, you could put a down payment, you know, that it wouldn't break you. And I think probably the median price for a home in California right now, I think it's probably five hundred or six hundred thousand dollars. Who has that kind of money? What yeah, has my so. government done to make prosperity accessible for the working class? I see how it's working for the oligarchs. I mean how much money did Bill Gates make during COVID? How much money did Dr. Fauci make on all the uh, patents that he participates in? 
That's why he's one of the highest paid uh, government officials is because of the patents he has. So there has been a complete crime against my country. And when I see people defend a politician or defend somebody who's running to become president, that they infantilize Mm. these adults that want power or want to sell more books, that you've got you to figure out that, wow, they've been so propagandized that you have to be respectful to Joe Biden. You have to be respectful to Donald Trump. You have to be respectful to Cornell West or respectful for Jill side. Get some grit. Respectful to Marianne Williamson. They're running for the president of the United States. They don't get our respect. They should be providing policies that make my life better, make my brother and sister's life better. Why am I seeing this degree of homelessness in the state of California? I'm a native Californian. I remember when my family, we would go to Tijuana and have a nice time. You know, we were going to go and get some food there and shop. And I remember as a kid, I would see the despair in Tijuana, the children on the street uh, begging for money, the shacks on the road. And I got scared as a kid, that was scary to see that degree of poverty. And we were struggling, but this was a whole different struggle. This was grapes of wrath. This was, you know, Charles Dickens level of struggle. And when I see what's happening here in the streets, and guess what? It's by design. It is designed to scare you. It is designed to say, hey, you're dangerous because you're addicted to the drugs that we made available to you. This is all by design and that nobody can figure out how to take care of my brothers and sisters on the street. Hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you in Harlem, Steph, I call it the 10 second rule. If I walk out of my front door, 10, 9, Eight, I don't think I'll get to one before I see some manifestation of insanity. Somebody oh, screams out to somebody, and they're, they're not even arguing with anybody. They're just screaming in the street. Somebody is going to collapse on the street. Somebody's going to be throwing up at 10 in the morning. I mean, I've literally, I've taken my son to school. My son has seen people smoke crack cocaine on the train on the way to school. He's seen people shoot heroin into their arms. It was not something we intended on seeing. This is what's going on in the community. And, you know, I think it's like, it, you know, it's an analogy I thought of a while ago, but it's like if we were to crash land on an island and there's two of us and we find a coconut, are we going to crack the coconut in half and split it and say, okay, here's half for you, here's half for me, now let's go get some more food, or I'm going to smash you upside the head with the coconut and say, I have the only coconut, yay, I'm the king. Right. Like, I think that we can make a world that respects everybody. I mean, call me crazy, you know, call me a socialist or whatever. I I don't care about the moniker. I think every person can be respected. I think there are enough resources for people. I think we can um, protect those of us and, and uplift those of us who have fallen into the cracks. But there's this mentality that would rather dispose of people, it seems. And that's so terrifying. And that's where, you know, I, I uh, take issue with my right-wing brothers and sisters who I've met, I guess, through the medical freedom movement, 
who, you know, they accused Joe Biden of being a socialist. And I'm like, sorry, guys, he's not a socialist in any respect. Socialism does actually involve health care and housing. There was not homelessness in the Soviet Union. There was there was health care for all the other things that were wrong with it. I'm not saying I want to live under that style of government. My wife is from Belarus. If you go to Minsk, it's a clean city. It is a place where you will receive health care if you need it. It's yes. a place where there's zero crime. I mean, no criminal is under the impression they could harm another person on the streets and get away with it. There's a lot of things we would dream of achieving in our capitalist society. However, I don't want to live under a dictator, to be honest with you. I don't want to live under the control of someone who, if you insult them, you can be arrested and tortured. So... You know, I just, I want people to really start moving past this cartoonish concept of history. And also I find it interesting people who they, they don't have a critique of what's happened in terms of uh, big pharma, the medical mandates and so on and so forth. They have no critique of the fact that, yeah, this is an outgrowth of capitalism. Actually, this is, these are the failures of capitalism. Don't, don't forget that, you know, stop blaming these these faux socialists, they're not socialists, they're anarcho-capitalists of anything. But you know what? We're running out of time. This hour has just flown by, and I don't want to be rude to the next <laughs> program. Um, it, it's such it an honor great. to have you on these airwaves, Steph. Um, and we're station mates, too, because the Progressive Radio Network. So Jimmy Dore is on Progressive Radio Network. Um, Jeremiah, so this was terrific. I, I would love to talk to you more and more in the future. And I just want to leave you with this uh, quote from Cesar Chavez. Uh, he said once, the fight is never about grapes or lettuce. It's always about people. Ah, that's a beautiful way to end the program. Thank you so much for joining us, Steph Zamorano. Everybody go to JimmyDoreComedy.com. Definitely catch the Jimmy Dore Show. Put Jimmy Dore, D-O-R-E, in your search engine. It's a trove of great programs that cover all kinds of issues that will never be touched and never be examined with any depth by the corporate media. And just thank you for all you guys do. Just please send our love and regard to Jimmy and the whole crew. We're tuning in every day, and you guys are really a beacon of light in a chaotic world. Thank you so much. And shout out to Dylan, by the way, um, the engineer who makes this show happen every week. I right on. Shout him out. Um, but Dylan is the man. He makes it happen. So thank you, Dylan. Thank you all who tuned in. Thank you, Steph. Can't wait to talk to you guys in the future. And safe travels wherever you are. Okay, thanks so much. arms towards the sun you feel the warmth of the rays and then you know you're alive and you don't have to be afraid of anything cause you know you know the truth and the truth the truth is love yes it is wasn't what they said to you